The economy is getting back underway and with it, the world of pro sports. Stay ahead of the curve with the unparalleled tools of two world-class news desks, covering developments across finance, economics, technology, and sports. Subscribe to Bloomberg.com, and if you're not already a The Athletic subscriber, for a limited time, receive a complimentary subscription to The Athletic. Go to Bloomberg.com slash subscribe to sign up today. Hello, everybody. Mike Sando here, senior writer at The Athletic, joined on our weekly podcast by longtime NFL executive, former executive of the year, Randy Mueller. Randy, how are you doing today? Doing great, Mike. Good to be here again. We are fired up. This week, I mean, Randy and I had a great talk yesterday. I can just sense as we get going closer to the season and there's just more actual stuff to talk about, like uh, the blood gets going a little bit, you know, and we see things happen and we react and, and we're going to bring some of that energy to the show today. I can I can just feel it with the topics that we've got. And I'm, I'm so happy to, to talk about football, Mike. Let me just break in one second. That it's all I can do uh, to actually talk yeah. about real live pads popping and, and actually football oh. stuff on the field. So. No doubt about it. So uh, again, Mike Sando here. You can find me on Twitter, Sando NFL. Randy Mueller here. He's at Randy Mueller underscore. You can also find some really cool stuff at MuellerFootball.com. He, he writes some articles on there. One of my favorites was breaking down the Pac-12 quarterbacks with really an, an evaluator's eyes. So uh, that was a lot of fun. Today, we've got uh, some really good topics. We're going to start out with uh, some camp notes that focus on the Washington football team. I almost said what their name used to be. The Washington football team. Uh, not just Alex Smith, but some other really interesting things going on there. Uh, we've got some thoughts on the New York Giants uh, with their new coach and what's going on there. We have some thoughts about the Cleveland Browns, who usually are off-season media darlings and are, are just sort of going to the radar. We like that. So those three teams will be in our camp note um, section. We're going to also get into... Uh, you know, these not really holdouts in camp, they're kind of hold-ins. And you see some of these guys between, you know, Melvin Ingram, uh, Dalvin Cook to some extent. We wonder a little bit about what's going on with A.J. Green. There were some rumblings on DeAndre Hopkins, but uh, that's something new that we really want to get into and, and, and leverage not only Randy's insights, but, but mine on that. And then finally, just sort of out of the blue yesterday, um, it was announced that Tom Flores and Drew Pearson uh, would be basically going into the Hall of Fame, even though the Hall of Fame doesn't have its official voting. I'm on that panel uh, until after the Super Bowl. Basically, those guys are going to get in. And we have thoughts on Tom Flores in relation to some of the other coaches, including Mike Holmgren. Uh, Randy's actually worked with both those guys. So uh, that should be really good. Um, we're glad you're here. Not just you, Randy, but, but the listeners. Um, let's dive in. You ready? Okay, our camp notes. Washington football team, hire a new president, Jason Wright. They've got Alex Smith coming back. They've got Ron Rivera as their head coach. What are we seeing here? To me, you've got, those are some character hires. I know Alex Smith isn't a hire, but Ron Rivera, I think, say what you want about as a coach, I feel solid about him. 
really feel solid about Alex Smith. And I feel pretty solid about Jason Wright, even though he's only 38. I think he's smart. I think he's a good person from everything I've heard. Football character, all that. What do you think, Randy? Yeah, I totally agree. I think the biggest the biggest uh, change you're seeing in Washington, really, and this hasn't happened since Dan Snyder bought the team 20-some years ago, um, is a, a little bit of a credibility change. I think he's, he's hiring people that are credible in the real world that, uh, like you said, are character-building type people, all the way from Julie Donaldson on the communicative side to obviously Ron Rivera, who I've worked with uh, in San Diego, and now Jason Wright. Um, these guys are all high-character people. And this is what this franchise needs. It's been a wandering, uh, really untrustable franchise for some time, really uh, a grease fire for many years. And I think this doesn't solve their issues on the field, but it sure helps them be more credible off the field with their message, with with their genuine um, care of people and the people in that same building. I think it's been a long time coming. And I mean, we could do a whole podcast on Alex Smith, like you mentioned, and and we'll get into some of that, but all really good, solid hires of solid people, at least on paper. So this is a great start for Dan Snyder and it's a new start. I don't think he had any choice. He had to make it. Sometimes we get backed into corners where we have to make choices and, and he's made some good decisions here. So I'm anxious to see them. Uh, I, I think the first thing that's going to come of all this is what happens on the field. And that probably leads us into the Alex Smith topic. Do you think Alex can play? I mean, how do we know? But well, here's the thing. He, he has been cleared by medical doctors of Washington. And now um, this projection, this evaluation, whatever direction you choose, um, is now in the football people's hands. He, he would not have passed the team's physical uh, if it wasn't safe for him to be out there. So that we can check that box. It's safe. Um, he doesn't stand any more chance of re-injuring than the next guy at this point. So we will see. I think he definitely can play. The next hurdle for him is overcoming the mental part. You you, you hear about guys coming back from ACLs and it always takes a, a year and a half because mentally they got to prove to themselves that they're healthy. That's probably going to happen with Alex Smith at some point. 17 surgeries later. I mean, and you're talking about a guy that has $175 million earned in his career. So he doesn't really need this. So I think I take those as badges of courage in that this guy is special. You talk about character hires, and you mentioned it. He may be as good of character hire as, as they have. And I sense a little bit of a smile in, in, in when I see and hear Riverboat Ron talk about Alex Smith, because I think and he tipped his hand a little bit in a press conference the other day where he they were they were asking him what it would take and he he kind of gave his criteria of number 1 being uh number one thing he would judge his quarterbacks on is decision making and that's something that's been lacking there and the fact that he said that what does that tell you give him the job this yeah. guy's starting <laughs> no, i mean right. unless he's limping through camp uh, and you know you think in the broader context what does it mean for Dwayne Haskins all that that's Ron Rivera doesn't give a rip. No. I mean, he wants to know who can line up. And, and from a coaching standpoint, the guy who can do the things Alex Smith can do. I mean, you know he's you know he's gonna make the right decisions. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna zoom this back out though, because I, with all of that said with these good people uh in important places, 
I think it's still a question of whether you can ultimately overcome a horrific owner. And, <laughs> uh, you know, and so I went through the last 20 years of teams that made the Super Bowl. Okay. So there's 40 teams that have made it. Obviously, some of those teams repeated, so it's not 40 teams. But I went through those 40 teams and I put their owners kind of into three buckets that I think they were really excellent, that I think they were just sort of in the middle, and that I think that we might think they were a bad owner, just teams that got to the Super Bowl, right? And so, like, 24 of those teams, I kind of put their owners were, were like, in the top tier, like Robert Kraft or Mara or Rooney, even Paul Allen. You know, those are those Slam are guys dunks. who yeah. really let, yeah. let you do your job, right? And then kind of in the middle bucket, you have people like, Art Modell or Jim Ursay or Jerry Richardson, they're not the greatest owners, but you can win with them, right? They're, they're, they're better than Dan Snyder as an owner of your team. And then, really, I only came up with three teams that I think we would say the owners we, we would question, and that would be Arizona made it with, with Bill Bidwell, but it was transitioning to Michael, and they had the new stadium. I almost think that Michael's probably in the second tier of the owners now. Um, and then Malcolm Glazer, you know, I think... He was better than the Glazer heirs, right? I mean, he wasn't horrific, but I still put him in that third tier. And then Georgia Frontier, you know, with the Rams, they made it. And I think people wouldn't say she was a great owner, but it shows you there's not a lot of Dan Snyders that are going to the Super Bowl. So can all this stuff, can having the right people under a bad owner deliver you to the promised land? Well, and, and, and don't forget, this is the same owner that hired Marty Schottenheimer to run his football team, and actually Marty turned them around. And guess who Marty's personnel guy was? John Schneider, who uh -huh. we know has proved his worth in, in Seattle. So Dan Schneider has had good people under him in the past, and he just couldn't stay out of the way. That's really <laughs> what it comes down to, is can he stay out of the way? Can we stop reading the leaks to the Washington Post? Can we stop, you know, behind the curtain, uh, stirring up the pot? You know, we'll see. He's off to a good start in that he's hired some good people. Now, hopefully, he lets them do his job. But that's a hurdle that has not been crossed yet. All right. That's great stuff on, on Washington. Let's go quickly to the Giants. Uh, you know, as we were talking even yesterday, you and I, um, they stood out to you. And I think we are all, you know, the Joe Judge hire just by itself. You know, okay, you go, hmm. And then you start hearing some things out of practice and the coaches are running laps and all that. <laughs> What's your initial impression of where that's going, just based on the initial reports out of two days of camp or three? Yeah, I, you know, I don't I, – I, the whole thing kind of makes me nervous, I'll be honest with you. I don't think the Giants are a good team. And therefore, I don't – I think they're a, a, a couple years away from building it in anybody's light, much less, you know, Coach Judd's light. Everybody has tried to pick off the Belichick apple tree in the past. And the big thing that's held them back is when they go elsewhere, they kind of have a hard time being themselves. They have a hard time coaching under their – set of guidelines and not Bill Belichick's guidelines. So we'll see if this guy can do that. I, I just laughed when I heard, and you mentioned it, the, the people running laps, because I've been at New England P Patriots practice when I was at ESPN. I'd go to their practice, and it's true. When, when somebody would jump off sides, Bill Belichick would make the whole team run laps. But I don't remember coaches running laps. I can just picture Charlie Weiss running the lap. <laughs> I don't think so. Or how about... In in the, in the Giants world, Freddie Kitchens running laps. I mean, come on, seriously. <laughs> I actually would. I might pay to see that. Yeah, no, just I once, hear you. you know? I'm, I'm not saying it's not fun to watch, but I just I wonder about the credibility of the coach when he does this. Jason Garrett, you can you know beat up Jason Garrett for whatever you want for being what he wasn't in, in Dallas, but 
to make him run last because the left guard jumped off sides? I don't know. I mean, some of that seems kind of childish. So we'll see. I think that the proof will be in the pudding. I don't see a great uh, collection of players here. I I think they're a ways away. I think Dave Gettleman has done an average job to this point. Hopefully he can uh, acquire a few more solid players, less bells and whistles per se, but who knows? But yeah, I, I just laughed when I heard some of this stuff about the Giants the last few days. It just kind of makes oh, me shake my head. I know. You know, and we put, we sort of put the Mara family in this high regard, right? But if you look at what's happened since Tom Coughlin's left, you know, they hired McAdoo, right? I mean, and I even spoke with uh, John Mara earlier this, I was on a conference call with him with uh, this, I think it was the minority quarterback challenge thing that was going on. And um, or it was a seminar earlier this offseason. He admitted to going for the, you know, going for the hot coordinator route a couple of times. And now, you know, he's he's got this vision of, a, of what he wants in a head coach. And it's more about leadership. And I don't know, is that Joe Judge? You know, when I, when I hear about people running laps, I think, who are the old veterans on this team? And are they going to rebel? You know, and so they got only six guys in their team that are 30 years old. Nate, Nate Ebner, he's going to be supporting the coach, right? They got a long snapper. He's not going to say anything. They got two quarterbacks, McCoy and Tanny. They're not going to. They're not going to rebel. They got Kevin Zeitler, a guard. He's probably not going to rebel. And they got Golden Tate, who we'll wait and see. So it's not like they've got a bunch of thirty-five-year-olds who are going to immediately roll their eyes at some of this stuff. But we'll see what it means over time, and if it's fun to come to work. I think it's a, a it's a long-term project at best, and uh, Giants fans have got to hope it doesn't go the route of the Detroit Lions uh, with Matt Patricia, yep. another New England hire. So. Time will tell. You're right. The Detroit Lions, by the way, Randy, um, have had 13 non-interim head coaches since 1973. One of them has a winning record in Jim Caldwell. It shows you what we're talking about with all of these teams like Washington. Can you overcome you know, the ownership of your team? Speaking of that, the Browns are our third and final team we want to look at in camp, and their ownership's been horrific. Um, but there's some things to like about them, just at least compared to the recent past, you know, what say you? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think they have taken their beatings over the years, no doubt. And Jimmy Haslam's been at the forefront of most of it. And I think he'd be the first to tell you he's made some crazy decisions as well. And, and you're right. Sometimes it just trickles downhill. And, and when the owner can't get out of his own way, it, it presents a lot of hurdles for those that are tasked with running the franchise. In this case, I, I really like their approach, whether it's Kevin Stefanski's idea or their new G, GM's idea. It's the complete opposite of, of last year's brash talking, put a target on our back, you know, to garner respect. I'm kind of old school, so I prefer the understated approach. And, and Kevin's done that. You know, he kind of set the table by going to Austin in February early in the process. Once he got the job, meeting with Baker Mayfield, kind of laying out the groundwork for what I'm sure his vision was. And I think Baker, for the most part, has bought it. We haven't heard the crazy statements even by um, OBJ and some of the others that we've heard. So I think they're willing to, to, uh, see it Kevin's way. And I think that's a good thing for them. I frankly like a couple of the additions they've made. He's going to want to run the ball to take the pressure off Baker Mayfield without a doubt. You know, they signed, uh, um, a couple offensive linemen, one in Jack Conklin, a former first round pick of the Titans that is a tough blue collar guy. You put him with Joe Petonio, Petonio, the other tackle, you're talking about tough, nasty, message-sending type people, and and that's a good thing for the Browns because they need to do that. 
The one thing is they got to stay healthy, though. Nick Chubb left practice the first day with a concussion. Now he's on concussion protocol. And their key center, TJ Shredder, the the uh, veteran who kind of calls the shots for them up front, has been out. Hopefully they get him back. But if they can stay somewhat healthy where their depth doesn't kill them initially, um, I like where this team is. It's a tough division. Obviously, the Ravens are the team to beat in there. But you're talking about Pittsburgh with Roethlisberger still got some question marks. I don't think Cincinnati's ready for prime time. They just don't have enough players per se. So I think Cleveland's a team that could compete for a uh, wild card spot without a doubt. Yeah, I do. Th- I do like Pittsburgh. I-, I think that their defense is really, really good, and-, and their offense was almost historically bad without Ben. So I think if Ben just comes back and is decent, but but your point is well made. And I'll share a quick story. Last summer, I was at the joint practices between the Colts and the uh, Browns. Right, and it was in the middle of that brashness kind of BS that you were talking about, and. There's fights every 10 minutes of course, because that's, yeah, of course. that's yeah. what, so, so there's fighting and Freddie Kitchens, the coach of the Browns goes running out there. And usually when the coach goes running out there, he's going to rip a, a new one in his guys and he's going to pull his guys. No, he was going out to yell at the Colts. He was going out to yell at the Colts. And I was like, yeah, this I mean, is not, this is never going to work. So it didn't work. We like, I agree. I think Stefanski is actually like if Stefanski were going to a good organization, like if he were being hired by Pittsburgh, I'd I'd bet on him to succeed for sure. I really like him. Um, in we'll see. You know, in Cleveland, it, it could be ruined by the owner, but we'll see. Let's uh, let's move on to the to the to our next topic, which is one you raised with me. I mean, really, the observation that we're not seeing holdouts. We've always camp holdouts were always a thing. I mean, I've covered so many of them. I think I the, the year Joey Galloway held out in Seattle. I, don't I remind me. Ta- yeah. I don't I actually talked to Eric Metz's agent more than I talked to my new or about to be wife at the time. I mean, it was un- just ridiculous trying to figure out what was going on, but um there's a different style of uh <laughs> there's a different style of conflict now going on, isn't there? Yeah, there sure is. And and it's really because the collective bargaining agreements over the years have shrunk this ability of people to withhold services. So guys, really now there's penalties built in to where if they don't come to camp, they get fined a substantial amount of money. They lose credits toward free agency. There's just a lot of penalties built in to where it's just not feasible. Sure, you're going to have a Le'Veon Bell who, in my opinion, does something silly, who misses a whole season and he'll never make up his millions of dollars. But for the most part, the holdouts have been curtailed. But now, like you mentioned, I just found it fascinating. Now we have the hold in. And I'd like to take credit for that, coining that phrase. But I heard Mike Tannenbaum say that the other day on ESPN. And it's definitely a factor. The hold in concept is has guys come to camp, report so that they don't get fined and in withholder services. So I don't know. I think the the issue for me when this happens is, is there a true negotiation happening when a player withhold services and standing on the sidelines, specifically like a guy uh, like Melvin Ingram. I see pictures of him standing around on the sidelines. What I'd really like to know is, and I don't know this, is if there's really dialogue going on. If there's reason to even consider that the Chargers are willing to talk a year ahead of time. And in Melvin's case, he's in the last year of a four-year deal. His bookend, uh, Joey Boza, just signed a, a giant deal. So I'm sure Melvin has a little bruised ego. You know, he's 
six, seven years older. Yeah. He's 31 years old. You know, he's he's getting down the road and maybe he feels like this is his last chance to grab a bite of the apple. I don't know. Um, I think there's some views that you could go either way with these things. Frankly, I don't think it's all bad in that it's not like Melvin Ingram has to prove that he can make the team and practice every day. We used to have guys practice. Yeah, we used to have them practice and just hold them out of preseason games. Now there's no preseason. Let's drill down on him, though, a little more specifically, Randy, because you spent more than 10 years with the Chargers, right? I mean, so you know Melvin Ingram. You know the makeup of that team better than probably almost anyone who doesn't work for the team right now. Would you do a new deal with him? Well, here's the thing. He, he has he was a first round pick. He was the 18th pick, I believe. Um, he's he's I think starting is it year nine because he came out early as a junior. Um, I think he has 49 sacks, which is five point four per year. So he, he signed a pretty big deal four years ago. And like I said, is in the last year of that. Um, I think it's going to be hard for the Chargers to reward him anywhere near the level that they did Joey Bosa. So I think that's going to be an issue. The problem's going to come when he withholds services and the team's not willing to discuss a new deal or they've exhausted discussing a new deal. So that's when, what do they say on the street? That's when the sitch gets messy, you know, when, yes. when, when there's nothing to talk about. Yes. Now, I will give him credit. 43 of those sacks are in the last five years. So he's been an eight set, you know, 10 and a half, eight, 10 and a half, seven, seven. So his production's up. But you're right. You don't want to be paying big money on the back end of, of, of these careers. But it's a delicate thing internally, right? Yeah. And he's, he, he has made the last three Pro Bowls. So he's put together some solid years. The, the question comes is, when does the smart money go away? You know, yep. up, up to age 32, 33, does that still happen? You know, really, he's a situational pass rusher, and I think they would like to have him if the price is right. I think the Chargers still hold all the cards. If they don't yep. find some kind of common ground by week one, guess what? Melvin's going to play because he wants to get paid. So he can stand on the sidelines, mispractice for the next month, and the Chargers really still hold all the cards. So that back last year, though, held out, right? I mean, the. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, and that, how'd Melvin that work Gordon. out? That, yeah, that was exactly. another disaster. No, I know, but I think yeah. players are incre- maybe not him, but players are increasingly willing. I mean, we've seen players do things they never used to do. Yeah, I just shake um, my head, and some of that's bad advice that that agents are giving him as well. Yep. So uh, I take DeAndre Hopkins at his face value, his word. He said, I'm not holding in. So we'll see. We know he wants a new deal. Uh, but A.J. Green, you know, one day of practice, uh, Hammy's acting up. He doesn't have a deal. Dalvin Cook to some point. I mean, I think all these guys are in the same boat. Um <laughs> Good luck, right? Yeah, it just makes us, and I feel a little bad because now every time I read about, you know, a twinge in a hamstring or something, I, I start to research, do we really trust this, you know? And that's kind of a sad state to to question yeah. players' injuries. Um, yeah. and, and, and maybe after we get going here a bit, it'll all come out that, that these guys are truly hurt. But these hold-ins are such a new concept that I think teams are, are really hesitant as to how they deal with it because, as you know, when you make decisions on contracts like this, they have repercussions down the, down the track. It's going to come up again. So uh, they set precedent by making these decisions. They is in front offices around the league, and it'll be interesting to see how this one's handled. Yep. No, I'm with you all the way. We've got to watch that with all these teams um, and players and sort of read between the lines, right, when, they're, when guys are, are, not, are not in practice because they can't realistically actually hold out so randy before we move on with the nfl season around the corner fubo tv will not disappoint stay updated on your favorite teams as well as local broadcast news you're going to get 30 hours of storage on a dvr 
The standard base plan gets you two screens at once. If you push for the family plan, which personally I recommend, three people can watch at once. Look, these are tough times for lots of folks. If you're looking to save some money and get a really great value, go to fubo.tv athletic today and get 15% off your first month. You won't regret it. That's fubo.tv athletic. Start your first month today. Our final issue here today, look, I'm on the Hall of Fame selection committee. I didn't know that the subcommittee on coaches and seniors was going to was was already voting, um, and all of a sudden we see Tom Flores and Drew Pearson are in these slots that are almost for sure going to go into the Hall of Fame. Let's focus on the coaches, Randy, because I they've created this extra slot at the Hall of Fame, and they did it for coaches because it's hard for coaches to compete against players. Uh, and I've been in that situation where we're trying to vote on these guys and you're like, okay, Michael Strahan or, you know, Don Coryell or whoever, and it, you're going to go with the player, the guy who's got the record. I think there's a real, I think media and just people in general don't have a nuanced template for evaluating coaches. And maybe at the highest level, we don't need it. I mean, you just look at the coach. Gal, he won 70% of his games and won three Super Bowls. He's in the Hall of Fame. But for some of these other guys who are great coaches, maybe they don't have five Super Bowls or maybe they didn't coach for 30, 20 years. I think there's a lack of... I don't think people really know if Tom Flores is a great coach or if Mike Holmgren's a better coach or if Dan Reeves is a better coach or if Mike Shanahan is. And I was... I guess... I don't. I didn't look at Tom Flores and just think, "This is a, this is the guy who should go in next." Um, you worked with, yeah. What do you think? We we talked about it in a prior podcast, didn't we? Go through the four or five coaches that we thought would be next to get in, and I don't remember us talking about Tom. Um, Tom is a great man, very nice, uh, very good to be around, uh, fun and, and good-hearted guy. Obviously, the the. Hall of Fame hadn't entered my mind because guess what? I'm a Seattle guy. That's where he finished his career. <laughs> you know, yeah. the Seattle portion Arguably alone. the worst coach in Seahawks yeah, history. Yeah, probably. I mean, it was definitely, and I don't think you can debate this, the darkest, most downtrodden time of the franchise as a whole from start to finish. So those years were brutal. I mean, there were a lot of years I was happy to be the advance scout because that got me out of town on Sundays and didn't have to watch. You know, I was on to the next game, and, and I feel bad for saying that, but we were bad. They probably should have fired everybody just because we were part of it, you know. But, yeah. yeah, so the people in Seattle will struggle with this one. I know that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Tom Flores won 60% of his games and two Super Bowls with the Raiders. So um, it's not like it, – no one gets in the Hall of Fame who ha doesn't have amazing accomplishments. Um, I think we're all ta – we're talking about all successful people here. Um, I – feel though that when I look at the Raiders, the arc of the Raiders success to me, the plight of the Raiders has been a function of Al Davis. Okay. And so when you, when you look at Al Davis at the top of his game in the 1970s, they won 72% of their games in the seventies. Okay. That's Al just peak Al. He's picking the schemes on offense and defense. He's picking the players. He's almost calling the plays. You know, and John Madden's a great coach, and you got to manage those personalities. And he was probably, you know, Phil Jackson before Phil Jackson and managing those Raider guys. So, uh, but that was Al. Okay, so then you get to the '80s. Al is a little distracted by lawsuits. He's still better than most of the guys, but um, and and 
but they win 59% now, you know, and Tom's 61% and it fell off a little bit, but they were starting to go downhill. Still won a couple Super Bowls to me with some of those players, Ted Hendricks, some of those guys who were already kind of there. It was, it was certainly the first early on, it was almost Madden's team to me. Um, then Al's losing it in the 90s. They win 51%. Al's just not really as good. So they've, over those three decades, they've gone from 72% to 59 to 50, basically 50%. And the 2000s, Al's done, and they're winning 39%. And the, and the 2010s, they're winning, winning 39%. To me, it's all about that man um, driving that team. And that's why I had a harder time saying, hey, Tom Flores drove the success of the Raiders in the way, just compare it to Mike Holmgren. Mike Holmgren goes to Green Bay. They haven't won anything. They suddenly win. He develops a quarterback. He's calling the plays. His fingerprints are on everything. Goes to Seattle. They haven't really, you know, they had an okay team under Dennis Erickson, but they're going to the Super Bowl. That never happened. To me, that's differentiating coaching and why I would have been much more supportive of him. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I think those are uh, sound facts. And again, I don't wish anything... uh, to, to happen to Tom Flores and his chance to get in, because I do think there are some other circumstances, but uh, uh, I think there are others that hopefully will get in uh, at some point in the near future. I do like yeah, the Drew so- Pearson hire, though, if you if you talk about that at all. Oh, let's talk, let's talk about Drew Pearson. It was funny because I was talking to a, a guy that I know who's worked in personnel and kind of played in that era, and he wasn't as sure, but but tell preach let's hear it <laughs> well here's the here's here's my take on that and, and it always comes back to how it affects us right i grew up a cowboy fan so <laughs> i mean i I'd be a north i might be a northwest kid but the cowboys were my team so i couldn't wait to get home from church and listen to pat summerall and tom brookshire on tv talking about the cowboys uh, on every other sunday that it seemed like they were on national tv so I'm one of those guys that can remember the push-off in Metropolitan Stadium against the Vikings and catching the game winner and some of the iconic iconic plays of the Cowboys in the 70s and 80s. And obviously, Drew was a big part of that. So I'm happy he got in. Um, I was more of a fan than as an evaluator. I'm not sure of all of the... Uh, statistical issues that have kept him out to this point. But we all have watched him in agony not get in the last couple times. And I think that may have played a role in this as well. And I'll tell you what, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's a three-time All-Pro first team, you know, three-time Pro Bowler on iconic teams, um, you know, throughout the 70s and even into the start of the 80s. So, um, you know, and it's and statistically, it's really hard to evaluate these receivers against today. It's a totally different game than he was playing a lot. Largely, his best years were before the 1978 rules changes that allowed offensive linemen to use their hands in a different way and pass blocking, uh, certainly the five-yard rule for DBs. I mean, it, it, if... If he had played, certainly starting his career in 78, I mean, his numbers would probably be off the charts. Instead, they're just they're just really good. And, and you hit on something, Randy, that really my favorite part of being on the Hall of Fame selection committee, we can debate all this. When the guys get in, it's so meaningful to them. And I'm really happy for Tom Flores that it looks like he's going to get this. He's 83 or whatever. He's going to get to live and experience something that is really unique in sports. It's the ultimate crowning achievement. You, We can debate him going in, but once you go in, you're in. You're, you're one of the guys. And he's going to go in, and Pearson is too. And it's like the most special thing in their lives, professionally and maybe even personally. It's really a cool thing. No doubt. And even, even for players, I think uh, 
I mean, we know uh, some of us were close with Cortez Kennedy and, and guys like that. Yeah. This made a difference in Cortez's life when he went in. That's how big a deal it was. It, it was. it became the centerpiece of his life and how he lived after he was put in the Hall of Fame. So I agree with you. It's outstanding. And it, it, you have to go back no further than Jimmy Johnson. Remember the announcement when Jimmy Johnson went in on, on national yeah. TV last year on Fox? His reaction and the way the others around him reacted. I remember when that happened and it brought tears to my eyes and I had nothing to do yep. with it. I mean, it's awesome. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So congratulations to those two guys. And when we debate them, we're not we're not saying they're you know not worthy or we don't like them. We're just we're just being honest and we're going to bring that every week that we do this podcast. And uh, and I think people will appreciate that. So thanks, everybody. That's going to wrap it up uh, again. You can find me, Mike Sando, senior writer for The Athletic on Twitter at Sando NFL. You can find Randy Mueller on Twitter at Randy Mueller underscore. You can also go to MuellerFootball.com. There's some good stuff there. Click on the blog area in particular. Um, and we'll leave you at that. And we'll be back next week to do this again with the season ramping up. Randy, I'm excited. Sounds good, Mike. I enjoyed it. I look forward to next week. Thank you.